Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Marcus with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the market. Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing super good, super good after a really good Thanksgiving, and that's good. Happy to be back and uh, and survived another one. So. That's good. Yeah, I ate too much. Like, I think you're supposed to do that. I think it's a state law, but um, got through that. Enjoyed the family, so so it was good. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. So yeah, good, good time to get with everybody. It's great for alcoholics because you can you know you can you can drink and then, and no one says anything about it. That's right. It's socially acceptable. Everyone likes that. <laughs> That's right. All right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this rainfall situation that we see down in Brazil right now. We talked a little bit about it last time. We were talking about uh, volcanoes, and we were talking about uh, what was going down in Brazil. Um, This is the first real news feed over the last couple of days that I've seen where they've talked about the Brazilian rains in a attitude other than the the, uh, the soybean market has been saved now because of the rains coming in uh in brazil and what we're seeing news article wise is a lot of what you talked about on uh, during that last podcast was hey they're going to get rain but we don't know if it's going to be enough based around the evaporation events that are going to come along with that so i guess sean as you're looking at that you seen anything different right now that's going to point to um something different than what we talked to last time 
I mean, just remember that these are not monsoonal rain patterns. They're not. This is not the monsoon turning on like we would normally see. This is frontal boundary type rains. Um, don't get me wrong. Rains are rains. And any rain is better than no rain. Uh, and the, the really where the market's getting um, excited by these rains is really more towards the middle of December. We really haven't seen a whole lot thus far that, to make too much of a difference. It's been super hot. But models are showing some better chances, for, let's say, in that as we approach the middle of December into the latter part of December. But as always, just because weather models that can't predict the weather are forecasting something doesn't mean it's going to happen. We know in droughts consistently, models say it's going to rain and then the rain's underperformed. That's what a drought is. It, the rains tend not to perform. And, t- and if we talked about this before, it's called subsidence, meaning that where it's dry, it tends to stay dry. And, and the rains that are typically forecasted for areas that are very dry typically tend to underperform the model forecast, meaning that they over promise the rains and the rains that do fall are, are are not as inspiring as one thought so once again they've taken some weather premium off because of what the models are saying is coming here in mid-december latter part of december we'll see what happens if the rains miss or they're they underwhelm then we're going to put the weather premium right back on again in a, in a hurry if they deliver well then all right then then that means that soybeans are going to they're going to finish up the planting which they're way behind on they're going to get some replantings done albeit late but they can plant soybeans late it just means the corn second crop corn is going to be in a heap of trouble getting it planted on time and getting all the acres planted so so they can still bail out you know if this is a if we if we are in a get more consistent rains it can bail out the soybean crop to some extent but it would really really put the hammer down on corn and that's really what historically, Casey, we've talked about this before in your show, the, the crop that is most highly correlated, impacted by this kind of a hot, dry weather pattern start um, is typically second crop corn. Um, because there's just no way to plant that crop late without getting yourself into trouble because the dry season in Brazil starts in April and then May is even worse. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're playing with fire when you plant, if you plant that crop too late. So inevitably, it means planting the crop, not as many acres. And if you're planting the crop in very poor soils, it means the crop that you do plant is in trouble. So I guess the bottom line is that there's there's two things that are driving this uh, less dry pattern. Uh, one is called the Antarctic Oscillation. Uh, it's a measure of the jet stream flow in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, when the jet stream flow is in the what that's called a positive Antarctic oscillation, um, meaning it, it, you tend to have a less amplified jet stream, it tends to uh, let frontal boundaries push further north uh, into more of the center of the country and center north. And when and so when you get that frontal boundary push, uh, there's potential for some rainfall from a frontal boundary, not from monsoonal flow. Uh, if you look at how in, in Argentina, for example, the what, temperatures are very, very cool in northern Brazil are very, very hot because of the frontal boundary. The other factor uh, is something called the Tropical South Atlantic Index. It's a measure of the sea surface temperatures of the southern Atlantic Ocean uh, south of West Africa. And in the last, by the way, the AAO is a very volatile 
uh, it's a short-term climatic variable, meaning it's not something that tends to be very persistent. It it can it varies a lot. So I wouldn't I don't expect that we're going to stay in a positive AAO for a long period of time. Uh, TSA is the same thing. It tends to be very volatile. You know, moves around a lot. It's when both of these indicators are, you know, happen to be in sync that you get an effect. Um, and they happen to be in sync for now. So the TSA is in the positive, has moved strongly positive. I think it's a positive plus one, which is a, a very high, uh, meaning very warm sea surface temperatures in the South Atlantic. And when you have warm ocean temperatures, you get very rapid evaporation. You get moisture in the atmosphere. And what happens when you get it in that region, the, it, it, it gets into this upper airflow and it finds its way over to the, the Amazon monsoon flow and brings some extra moisture into the center west of Brazil. It's not the monsoon firing up. It just means it's a source of moisture that gets into the flow from the tropical South Atlantic that feeds a little bit of a little rainfall. The minute the TSA cools, that stops. The monsoon is inactive. It's over. So, so those two factors right now are both positive, and that translates into some better rain chances here for the middle part to the latter part of December. Once again, we'll see how enduring these cycles, the, these variables are. My suspicion is they're they're going to be transient, meaning I think by the time we get past. Uh, and we get into the new year, they're probably going to ebb and, and end. And then once they do, we have to, then the north, north Brazil, central west Brazil have to then fend for monsoonal flow from the Amazon, which is not happening. So my best guess is, um, and we warned about this on our Friday update, by the way, uh, for our customers. We talked about this short term potential. And, um, and then we really took a lot of weather premium off on Friday, if you recall, on soybeans. Oh, yeah. But, um, yep. um, uh, I, we, I, my view is that we once we get out of this this temporary situation, January we're going to revert back to kind of the pattern we were in, and then I think soybeans will will they'll worry about soybeans because so here we are we're getting a crop planted late that of, of the acres that were not planted yet because people, they were waiting now they're going to get their chance to move they have to replant okay so we're going to push pollination out into the latter half of January into February. So a hot, dry pattern coming back is most impactful, you know, here in the U.S. is in August, right? Well, right. if you really want to hurt the soybean crop in Brazil, if you really, really want to hurt it, you, you, you get hot, dry weather in the back half of January into the first half of February. That's how you, if you want to really hurt the soybean crop in Brazil, that's how you hurt the most. What we've done up to this point is we've delayed planting um, and, 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 are, are, and have caused those acres that have been planted to be in a world of hurt, which takes the top off the crop. But we don't, we, we, you don't set, you don't hurt the crop materially during planting season. You hurt it during the growing season. So all we've done at this point is create a world of hurt of getting the crop in the ground. It does look like they will eventually get it in, but because it's going to be so late, um, Remember, their summer is mid-December through the end of, end of through really early March. That's their summertime. So, so, so we're pushing out soybean pod setting into the hottest part of the Brazilian climatic uh, seasonal pattern. 
so we'll see what happens. I mean, the crop isn't made in December or or, or November, so uh, there's still an opportunity here if hot, dry comes back, and I think it probably will in January and February, that we really hurt the crop during pollination. Most importantly, how the hell, I shouldn't say that, how in the world are you going to get this corn, second crop corn planted um, on time? It'll be tough, yeah. It's going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. It's going to be very, very difficult. So what you're going to have is you're going to have less acres planted. The acres that you do plant is going to be in very, very dry, poor subsoil moisture, and you're going to push out pollination into the core dry season of Brazil. This is no way it'll turn out good. Now, the question is, is it, is it, is it bad or is it a you know, major crop problem? Like we had a few years back, I think, I think the corn production was down 25 or th- between 25 and 30% a few years back when we had this set up the last time we had this kind of a delayed planting scenario. So still a lot of weather in front of us. I, I guess what I would say is, you know, markets overreact all the time, right? So how, sure. how confident would somebody be in late May that we're going to have a record crop here in the U.S.? Not very, because we have a long way to go. So right now, consider where we are now in late November, like being in late May. We just got some rains. The crop planting is going to roll. Uh, We're going to get the crop planted. But how confident would you be in late May about a record soybean crop? You'd say, well, all right, at least we're getting, we're we're going to get a, we're going to get a planted and we're going to plant it late, but you know, still, still we could have a good, you know, so, so anyone that says the crop's been saved, it's just, it's just way, way too early to make those kinds of conclusions. Now, remember, the industry is always short. We talked about this last time. They're heavily short because Brazil almost always has a good soybean crop. So you're, they're taught you go short. You're heavily short. So they desperately don't want to have a problem. And I understand that, and I get it, and that's all well and good. But understand there's a, a strong bias by those that get, get the fanfare on, on, on the media outlets to promote uh, over-bearish bias at an early part of the season. Now, if they had excellent rains in late January, yeah, that pretty much will do it, right? That that mm-hmm. gives you the big the big soybean crop. And but it's it's not even December yet, so it's really early. And all we can say right now is we had the worst start to the soybean planting season ever by a long shot. So that means that the crop is at high risk of having uh, less than ideal outcomes. And the most important thing for your listeners to follow and watch is what actually happens with rainfall from, let's say, that mid-December into the latter part of December. How? Because what we have right now, Casey, and it's really important, the Euro model is, 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 a, is wet-biased. They've been wet-biased for months and long. The GFS has been dry biased, too dry, but more right, okay? Meaning that if you look at the differential of what the GFS said, they've been too dry, but not too far off. And the euro has been much more wet, and they've been much further off. So when you look at all the models, the, the, the euro is, has all kinds of rain, like just rain all over the place, kind of rain. And the GFS... A little bit, you know, there's some rains are showing up in the GFS, but pretty modest. 
So looking at, we always talk about model verification. Every year is different. Some years the GFS is getting it right. Some years the euro is getting it right. And until those models show they're, they're, something's changing, you try to use an average between the two. I don't like the models, but the market trades the models, so you have to follow the models. That's just the way it works right now. So when I'm looking at this, I'm saying, okay, euro's too wet. It's not going to be that wet. We know the GFS is too dry, so it's probably going to be a little wetter than the GFS is saying. But if you look at what's likely the what that those two model biases are telling you, that the rains are going to be okay, but probably underperform current expectations. That would be my best guess on how all this turns out, is that the rains underwhelm, underperform, and we find ourselves coming out of December with the crop planted, but we not much of a recharge to subsoil. And, and if we go back into a non-Amazon monsoonal flow, hot, dry weather pattern in January, as we're heading into pod setting, it won't take much at all. I, I, I always want to re- remind everybody that we had three and a half inches of rain last year in Argentina in early February. It was a soaker. And they still had half a crop because it wasn't a major weather pattern change and the hot, dry weather came back. And when the weather really mattered, the rains weren't there. Timing of rains is very important. Yes, the rains are well-timed to get the planting finished, but that's just not where you generate the yield. So that's that's the takeaway from all of this. Right now, the market's going to be content keeping the, t- keeping the weather premium off that they just took, um, unless the weather models start backing away from these rains. If, if, the, if the euro starts backing off the rains, Casey, Let's just say in a week from now they're backing off, which is not uncommon for this to happen. And then you know we're going to put the weather premium right back on. So I guess what I'm saying is, despite what many are saying uh, with confidence, we're walking on eggshells still. So right on. All right, so let's talk a little bit about um, the cattle market. We saw a big sell-off on Friday. Um, things kind of continued through. Um, as you see, where things are, they're still seeing. Uh, I think the headline I read was. Uh, cattle market searching for a low so that's not a good headline so when you're looking at that uh cattle market what are your thoughts there on live cattle if you look at the highs that we made in 2014 we're just about getting if you look at the april contract we're about we're just about testing that spot this would be a pretty important spot to kind of dig their heels in here, meaning that when you break, a, that was a record high, by the way, in 14. So that's when we broke to record highs, right? And so we broke, and then we just took off, and now we're back to the breakout point. This would be a pretty important spot for live cattle, I'm talking about. April live cattle to, to dig its heels in and try to form a bottom here, Casey. You know? Um, if you know, Technically, if it does not do that, then it's going to the funds are going to liquidate. Trend-following algorithms are going to sell because that's what they're taught to do. It has nothing to do with whether it should happen or should not happen. They have the firepower to do it. So I think, you know, my best guess is what I think the live cattle market on the April contract is, are going to, within reason, dig its heels in around the 2014 highs, which is now support, and try to form some kind of a bond. I'm not expecting any kind of rally here. As you know, we've been bearish for months in this market, yep. correctly. 
Um, and, and I don't really see the reason for the market to take off until we get into the second quarter onward. Because I get this question all the time. I had a lot of call, customers call me yesterday about, you know, they're confused because usually when the top is made, it's over. I said, but that's, that's usually the cattle cycle tops out when herd rebuilding is finished, when you've rebuilt the herd. We haven't done that yet. All we did last year, which, we, which was we stopped herd liquidating, and that caused a big rally. We stopped herd liquidating because we've been herd liquidating for three years on drought. Well, herd liquidating is not herd rebuilding. When you pull back heifers and you start rebuilding the herd, that means that's how you really, really get tight animal numbers. Now, we had a very, very bearish cattle and feed report a few months back that said that there's enough animals on placed, placed on feed that we're going to have enough animals in the system through the first quarter, and we have to eat through that. And that's when, you know, that's once that came out, pretty much the die had been cast for any hope for the cattle market through the first quarter. But after that, we have to we have to herd rebuild, and my view is that in the back half of twenty four, when we actually start herd rebuilding, that's how you get your secondary rally, uh, and 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 that's where your your potential long term top comes in when the herd rebuilding cycle is over, which is a usually it's at least a year cycle, Casey, at least we need mm-hmm. to you know to, to get get to the promised land. So I don't think that. It's all over, but certainly what we were trying to avoid is we were trying to avoid Catalan having to sell here at a loss here in the fourth quarter and the first quarter while we thought we were going to have this valley before the next big rally on herd rebuilding. And, um, you know, obviously for those that listen to our recommendations, you know, they're in good shape. Those that did not are. So if, if you didn't sell, I mean, you can't do, you can't change what you didn't do. We can only do. We can only focus on today going forward. If you didn't sell and you find yourself, you know, I screwed up big time. I didn't sell at two dollar uh, price or one ninety five price. What do I do? I, well, any any bounces that you get, technically, I mean, we've lost thirty cents in live cattle. So you know, you know, a ten cent rally. I, I you know, maybe you can, maybe you could get down on just some kind of a technical rally. I mean, I think you got to sell anything like that. You know, anything you get that's 8, 10, 12 cents, for any reason that you get, you want to be selling that through the first quarter and make sure you at least can get a better price than what you're seeing right now. Now, on the on the feeder cattle side, we haven't held the 2014 high. We broke, we, we, we broke below it and have just, you know, we've really fallen <coughs> a, a lot more. Uh, to the downside. Now, feeder cattle are always, always the uh, the thoroughbred uh, market. It always is much more volatile, up and down. You know, it, it is the wild, wild west market of the cattle. Uh, live cattle is much more measured and such. Having said that, if you're looking at the April feeder cattle market here, uh, where are we? At? I think I think we're. At, let me just take a look at the price real quick. I think we're near two twenty. I was looking at it yesterday. Let me just take a real quick look at it here. Um, let's see, April, yeah, is that two twenty? Uh, so even so, so so for so the fear cattle market didn't hold what I'm suggesting. The live cattle market may hold, okay, and it, and it fell apart. But now at two twenty, this is a next level of really strong secondary support. I think. 
this is probably a level that I would be expecting the feeder cattle market to dig its heels in here. Um, and once again, I'm not expecting anything crazy like rallies or anything, but I'm talking about developing a bottoming pattern. Up, down, down, up, 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 down, down. You know, develop a pattern for me. A triangle, a wedge, a flag, a channel. Just give me some kind of a bottoming pattern that one can gain confidence that we're developing an equilibrium in the marketplace. I think this 220 area, there's a good chance that we could see that develop. Um, and so that's what I'm looking for is I'm going to look for live cattle to hold or bottom around this 2014 high. And I'm looking for the, the feeder, the feeder cattle market to find a, a bottoming pattern on the secondary 220 support area. Um, and yes, are we going to get bounces? Are we going to get technical rallies? Are we going to get short covering? Remember the last month of the year, are notorious for funds doing weird things to close the books, to square the books, to, you know, reposition. There's a rebalancing of indexes. There's all kinds of weird things that go on in this last 30 days. So there could easily be, for no reason, fundamental reason, there could be, you know, a technical rally, a short covering rally in feeder and cattle market. Um, because they're going to square profits at the end of the year. They want to show their shareholders how wonderful they are. So they collect these big bonuses and they can, you know, buy a house for their third, third girlfriend that the wife doesn't know about. So um, shouldn't have said that. But anyway. Well, it's a good thing um, they don't know about it. That, that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, if you get anything like that, Casey, the only thing I can say now, if you didn't take – Heed to our recommendation for months that we had. You sell those bounces, get some of that cattle priced in, lock just go get those advantages whenever they come. That's all you can do right now. Once we get to mid second quarter onward, we're very optimistic that the herd rebuilding cycle will get going in earnest and we'll have our secondary rally. We would think in a, if, a, if a herd rebuilding cycle really got going and really started tightening up these animals again. At minimum, we would think we could give a retest of the highs, and it wouldn't surprise us if maybe we make new highs, especially if the dollar gets weak, which we've been talking about. 24 could be a really weak period for the dollar. Election season, money being thrown out, thrown around all over the place to buy votes, all those wonderful things that shouldn't happen but happens every election year. So that's where I think we are with the cow market. In the hog industry, it's a rough the one. Problem the problem is, is that you know we we had a, a, another round of African swine fever here in uh, in the fall. Yeah. So we have to run through that again. So they're herd liquidating there, and everything's just awful there. And and without Chinese demand for U.S. pork, and we can only sell Mexico so much. And um, and with California saying they don't like the way we're treating animals in many places, and they don't want to buy. Pork from those places in the U.S. that treat the animals in their man- in the way they think you know, unhumanitarily. Uh, I don't know, it's just tough. The demand for pork is really poor. Pork cutout is is at late 2020 price levels. I don't really, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of uh, optimism here. You know, I mean, I'm an optimistic fellow, and and I do know there's always opportunities. But for right now, we have to run through the another round of ASF in China before we can poke it out. The way it looks to me is that this, this latest round of ASF is going to run through the first quarter and then, and then things will improve. So once again, kind of like cattle, I think it's tough sledding 
for the hog industry through the first quarter. Second quarter, I think the ASF stops. I think prices take off over there. I think they're going to need to buy a bunch of pork in the back half of 24. So the livestock story is a back half 24 story. It really is a back half 24 story. The, the first half, it's trying to survive, you know, trying to survive these prices if you didn't, if you didn't take economic advantage when they were better. And uh, I wish I had better news on the, on the hog side. I just, I just don't know what the callus would be to change this right now, Casey. It's just not a good situation. We just have to clear a lot of supply. And for whatever reason, Americans are not buying pork. I mean, they're just not buying it like you would expect them to do, given how cheap pork is relative to other meat proteins and other protein sources. It's just shocking that we just can't see or haven't seen better demand for pork. Maybe that'll eventually change and we'll get a surprise there and the, and the pork cutout price starts to move. But you know, that pork cutout price is just very, you know, as long as it stays where it's at right now, it's almost impossible for the, the hog price to do too much uh, outside of short covering rallies. So I, I wish I had better news for hog, those in the hog industry other than that calf 24 looks good. I just hope they can make it through. So right on. Okay. Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What is the best way to do that? We have a website, Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Uh, Twitter page, at Faridex, F-E-R-I-D-E-X-11. We also have a LinkedIn page from time to time. we we'll put some stuff out there, interviews on some of these uh, weather cycles and statistics and variables that we utilize to make our price forecasts. And... Uh, to see how we look at the world and agriculture, which oftentimes is quite contrarian. Some people are not comfortable with that, but if, they, if you're looking for kind of an alternative contrarian view that oftentimes turns out to be more right than wrong, you know, uh, this might be something for your listeners to check out. Definitely, definitely check that out because, like Sean said, when it's supposed to be wet, it turns out dry. And when it's supposed to be dry, it turns out wet. Usually, is how how it on these long term forecasts. So, check that out, John. You got a couple speaking events coming up. Where are those going to be at this week? I'll be in uh, Huron, uh, South Dakota, on Friday uh, mm-hmm. speaking, and I'll be in um, Deadwood on Saturday speaking. Um, so the two back to back there, I'll be uh, traversing the entire state of South Dakota, which looks to be crisply cold but clear which is uh, uh, fine with me. I could drive in the cold, but driving in a blizzard and whiteouts is not something I uh, tend to find uh, exciting. So I'm glad to see so far, it looks like clear skies ahead for my travels. So Yeah, I think you're going to be okay on the weather-wise. It might just be a little chilly, but I think right now we don't have any have any crazy weather coming at us this week. I think, that's, again, next week you got a shot for some of that. So I was thinking see. of playing the 50-cent table. There you, you, know, go. I, I, there you, you go. know, the 50-cent table is going to go big. You know, going to go yeah. on 50 cents and see if I could – you know, double my money there, you know. Go all in and get $2. I like that, Sean. <laughs> That's awesome. <clears throat> Put it all on black. There you go, Put buddy. it all on black, red, yeah. pink, magenta, whatever whatever color they got, I'll go for it, you know. Just lay it down and let it ride. Yeah. Let it ride, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean, safe travels. We'll talk to you again uh, later this week, and we'll uh, catch up with you then. Sounds good, Casey. Thanks so much. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Go to TikTok at Moving Iron Podcast. And I got some Snapchats over there at, I think it's at Moving Iron Podcast, I'm pretty sure. Check that out there. Go to the video version of this on the YouTube channel, which is at Moving Iron Podcast. 
check out that over there as well. And if you have any questions for Sean or any guests that we have on here, make sure you send me an email at moving iron podcast and moving iron podcast.com. And I will make sure to ask those questions or you can go to any of those social sites too. And, and, uh, Leave me a note, and I'll get those over to whomever you ask the question for. Uh, go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Moving Iron Summit's coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, November 4th through 6th. Hard to believe that we're talking something a year out, but that's going to be here before we know it. Sean's going to be there. He's going to be giving a special uh, seminar on uh, uh, on uh, on one of the days there where you do a morning talk and an afternoon talk. So he's going to have two chances to hear what Sean has to say, so looking forward to that. and. Uh, be some good times there so with that i'm casey seymour sean hackett let's do some let's go move some iron folks out when you partner with axon you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower we carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels we specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard working people working hard for